Amen. Thank you, guys. Good morning. Hey, where were you guys last week? <laughs> it's good to be back. Easter wears me out. I'll be honest with you. After Easter, I just gotta, I just gotta uh, recharge. So it's good to be away, but great to be back. I always miss you when I'm away. Uh, I listened to Rob's message. I thought it was outstanding. He just did a great job of bringing the freight in my absence and uh, really appreciate his thoughtfulness and just the way the Spirit led him in that, getting us back into through the Bible in the New Testament. Yeah? Yeah, there is one small coaching aspect, I guess I'd say, I'd want to bring to Rob as his older brother, somebody who's been doing this for a little while longer. I, I noticed that he had an issue in each of the services. Uh, that I think we can correct. Actually, Rob, if you come up, I'd like to coach you now, if you don't mind. Come on up, Rob. I actually created a device that I think might be helpful for you. And uh, it's, it's a piece of half-inch conduit. And if you put it right down in the seam here, if I'm not here next time, and I just want to put this on your belt loop. And... Uh, I want you to just notice something. If you put that there, you see you'll get a little warning, okay? All right, thanks. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. All right, Uh uh-oh, you're stuck. I think you're going to be preaching today. Here, just take the whole thing with you, all right? There we go, okay. (laughs) Don't, don't, Don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. Right. Can you help him, Amy, get that thing unhooked? Okay. Great. Hey, we're, we're, we are back into the resuming the Through the Bible series and uh, working our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We've launched into the New Testament, and uh, today we're in the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, with a special focus on how the Gospel of Mark brings a sense of beginning, of beginning in our lives. It's a very exciting part of who we are as believers that God brings a sense of new beginning into our lives. I invite you to pray with me, Lord. We, we come before you in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. We're so grateful for this place. We're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. And uh, in this we find life today, Lord. And so we come to you at this time when we want to not simply engage our minds, but get to that center of us, that place that's way in the middle, that place that just kind of vibrates when you touch it. Would you come, Lord, and speak to the spirit man in us today in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Well, we're going to follow the very same format as we have with the other Through the Bible books and looking by beginning at the context of uh, the Gospel of Mark because context is, is so much a part of good interpretation of what the Bible says. Context, of course, is that, that thing about the Bible that's the bigger picture. What is the bigger picture that would affect the way we should interpret the words that we're actually reading? With respect to context with the book of Mark, I want to point out four things. First of all, it is one of four distinct but complementary accounts of Jesus, of the life of Jesus. 
So for those of you who are newer, those first four books of the, of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called Gospels. And they are each individual accounts of the life of Jesus, very similar in so many ways, and yet have their own sense of distinction as well. And the Gospel of Mark is one of four distinct but complementary accounts of the, of, of the life of Jesus. And, and so what we want to keep in mind is all four, each of the four of the Gospels are equally inspired by God. They're fully inspired by God, and yet they're strained through a sense of personality of each one of the Gospel writers. They're sometimes, you'll read, are sometimes called the evangelists uh, in terms of the writers of the Gospels. So they're each equally inspired, but they have a sense of perspective, each one, that because that inspiration was strained through the personalities of the people who were actually used by God to write these things down for us. Uh, also, by way of context, uh, the Gospel of Mark is likely the earliest gospel to actually be written down. Um, it was first thought in the early part of uh, church life uh, to be the, a summary of the Gospel of Matthew. And when I'm talking about the early part of church life, I'm talking about when the Bible was canonized in the 4th century. And so it was thought to be, it was ta- it was thought to be a, uh, a summary of the Gospel of Matthew because it's shorter, and so it appears second in the lineup uh, because of that. But since then, there's been substantial evidence to persuade us that the Gospel of Mark was very likely the first of the Gospels to be written down, and that Matthew and Luke actually were expansions of the Gospel of Mark instead of Mark being a summary of the Gospel of Matthew. And you could see how that could go either way, right? If you just look at the real estate that's covered in your Bibles, uh, in terms of the number of pages of each one, in my Bible, the Gospel of Mark is 21 pages long, compared to the Gospel of Matthew that is 34 pages long, so essentially almost 50 per, or 50, more than 50% more, more uh, volume. And the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was really committed to detail, is 36 pages long in my Bible. John, which we'll see when we get there, is, is a very much a separate rendering for different reasons. Uh, it's 27 pages. So, so Matthew is the shortest of, of the Gospels. And uh, we have to keep in mind that when this was written down, the stories of Jesus, the accounts of Jesus, were circulating in two forms. They were circulating largely by something called oral tradition. That is the telling of the story again and again and again, oral tradition, but also by fragments of small things that were written down about remember when Jesus walked on water, remember when Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, and various fragments that were brought together then to create these particular Gospels. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear oral tradition, it starts to make me a little bit nervous because I start to say, if it was something that was passed on from one person to the next person to the next person just by word of mouth, how can we know... How can we know that's reliable? Because you know how the whole little gossip game plays? You're around the circle and it's something completely different when it gets to you. 
We can have confidence in oral tradition as a source for the Bible, I think, for two big reasons. And the first reason was because by oral tradition was how people lived then. It's how they lived. So it was part of of their life is to pass stories on one to the next. That was how they lived. They didn't say, read this. They said, listen to this. And so they were better listeners by far than I'm sure we are today because we don't have to listen because we can check it out later. I notice that many of you check out of my messages and go to sleep while I'm teaching and I'm figuring you must probably just get it online later in the week, right? That's probably... Well, they didn't really have that kind of capacity. They couldn't just uh, read it later sort of thing. Uh, And so they were really better listeners. Plus, in a culture that values oral tradition... You can see this. There are watchdogs, right? There are people who go, oh, no, 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 no. As soon as somebody starts to exaggerate, if they value oral tradition, they go, no, 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 no. That's not how it was at all. And so the story has a kind of quality control to it just by people like that, okay? Uh, And the other reason I think we can have confidence in oral tradition as a source is because there was exponentially less information known to humanity at the time. I mean, the, the stuff that you have in your brain compared to somebody 2,000 years ago is exponentially greater. I mean, just the amount of knowledge that was even discovered and known and discussed in 2,000 years ago would have been so much less than what it is now. And now in the IT age... Holy smokes, we're just inundated with, 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 with information, with knowledge all the time, aren't we? And so our brains are, in, comparatively speaking, full. They're really not full at all. Our brains have a lot bigger capacity than we understand. But by comparison, that we, we're just carrying around a lot more information. So doesn't it make sense then that if you get if you have a smaller amount of information to remember, you're likely to remember it better? Yes or no? I can start this whole thing again. You guys better get with it. Yeah? Of course. So this was happening, oral tradition, fragments of documents, uh, if you will, and these were used by God to speak through these evangelists to bring, the, bring these gospels together. This Gospel of Mark, third in context, was a gospel to the Gentiles. Now again, for those of you who are new, there are two classes of people in the Bible. There are those who are Jewish, and everybody else is a Gentile. There are those who are of the heritage of Israel. They are Jewish. They are Israelites by heritage. Everybody else is a Gentile. So if you've been kind of stumbling over that, what are these Gentiles anyway? Um, And by this time, now remember, by the time that this Bible was being written down, this account of the gospel was being written down, a couple of decades after Christ was gone, then it was clear that the nation of Israel was not going to accept Jesus Christ as, as Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ. It was clear that they were, that he in fact was the, the cornerstone that the builders rejected, right? And that's a fulfillment of prophecy. And so since that was true, since the nation of Israel was not like, wow, he was here among us, we now bow before him. It's like, no, it wasn't him. Then 
then God, in clearly as part of his heart and his plan, opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles. That's really good news for us, yeah? Let's give God a hoo-hoo, huh? I mean, that's, that's pretty good. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have the hope of eternal life if that had not happened. And so Mark was inspired to bring a gospel specifically to the Gentiles, which was a basic presentation of the life of Jesus. Now, compared to the gospel of Matthew, for example, as Rob talked about last week, uh, the gospel of Mark is devoid of a lot of the Old Testament prophecies, a lot of the Old Testament references. Why? Because the Gentiles, that would have no real meaning for them, would it? It would have been for the Jews, of course, but it would have no real meaning for the Gentiles. There's no genealogy in the Gospel of Mark as there is in Matthew and as there is in Luke. Why? Because the Gentiles, it it wouldn't have meant anything that that Jesus was of the line of David or anything like that. And so this is a very specific gospel written to the the Gentiles. Um, And so what it does have distinctively is it's a presentation of the deeds of Jesus, of the things that Jesus did. It has his words in there, but not to the volume that Matthew or Luke have. But it talks about, here's what he did. Because that would have been substantially more important to Gentiles, right? Then here's what he said. It's, no, look what he did. Remember, these Gentiles, they were, they were Greek people and substantially. They were living in a, what's called a Hellenistic world, a Greek world. Their perspective was such so that what would get their attention is not what Jesus said because there were plenty of talkers in Greece, right? But what did he do? And so the Gospel of Mark really shows you what it was that he did. I think this makes the Gospel of Mark an excellent gospel for 21st century Americans. Because there's plenty of talk, right? Church, there's lots of talk, right? But everybody talking about heaven ain't going there, right? There's lots of talk. But where is it happening? Where is Jesus doing something? I think that's what's going to get the attention of the American culture. And then last, by way of context, the Gospel of Mark, from my perspective, often creates a sincere desire to follow Jesus. So when you look at the Gospels, the four of them, you see that when you read them, something happens inside you, right? Something stirs. And I was reflecting on that this week, and I was thinking that if you look at these four Gospels, And if you think about how each of them inspires you or motivates you, I I think it kind of goes like this, that Matthew creates in us a desire to accept Jesus Christ as the long-awaited Messiah. That when we read through there, we go, that's what Messiah would do. That's what Messiah would do. And so we say, yes, he is the fulfillment of, of all of those prophecies of the Old Testament, and he is Messiah. Luke, I think, creates in us a desire to think about Jesus in the way that he lived and died and rose again. Luke, as we'll spend a little time on next week, is the gospel of detail. And it, it's, a good, it's a great gospel for our minds just to think about 
what Jesus did, how he lived in particular, some of the, some of the detailed aspects. It causes our brain to work. John, the Gospel of John, which as you know, you may know, is kind of substantially different than the first three Gospels, really creates in us a desire to receive Jesus as our, our, our Savior and Lord, doesn't it? Well, that's because in John twenty thirty one it says that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And so that's the whole purpose of it. But the Gospel of Mark, when I read the Gospel of Mark, it creates in me a sincere desire to follow him. I see what he did, I want in. I want to do that. I want to live that life. And so each of the Gospels brings really an important kind of motivation to our walk with the Lord today. But that Gospel of Mark makes me go, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, right? And so I think that's a a suitable context for us to think about the Gospel of Mark. And as most of you know, what I do each week when we're in this through the Bible thing is I read the whole book and I pray and I say, God, what's the hot spot? What's the, what, where do you really want us to put our attention? What's the living word for us today? And it, it's Mark chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You've got to go all the way to the first verse for it to heat up. The beginning, the beginning, focus on that. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A few of you may remember that in 2011, I I took a sabbatical for a few months, and I spent the summer just really retreating from as much as I could retreat from, which was a lot, and I just tried to spend as much time as I could just with the Lord. One of my plans was to read through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation really thoughtfully and prayerfully and just give God a chance to speak to me. And um, I, as I started that on the very first day, I felt the Holy Spirit lead me to the Gospel of Mark to begin, which being kind of a linear thinker, I thought we'd start in Genesis and move through the end of Revelation. And I got to Mark chapter 1, verse 1, where it said, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit said, stop. 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 And so I stopped. And so I stopped for three and a half months. And I spent the whole sabbatical just in the presence of the Holy Spirit in one single verse. I did not read the whole Bible again. I sat in this one verse, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Lord just revealed stuff to me about this verse that is so, so powerful was so amazing, so refreshing, and has had impact on this very fellowship to now. The beginning, the beginning, the beginning of the gospel. Remember, this was written to whom? Gentiles. And to say to them, this is the beginning. You see, to the Jews it would have been, this is a fulfillment and a continuation, right? This is a fulfillment and a continuation. To the Gentiles it would be like, Now you can come in. This is a beginning. This is a beginning. Now you, we, can come in, right? 
we who were outside can now come in by the blood of Jesus. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Spoken to Greek people substantially who were caught up in a whole pantheism of Greek gods, a whole endless chatter in Greek philosophy. And Mark comes and says, for you this is a beginning. You may have thought you were somewhere before, but this is a beginning. The beginning of your life. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel is about a new beginning. That's what the gospel is about. It's about a new beginning in us. This is so exciting. A new beginning. The beginning of what, you ask? I dare you. The beginning of something called sanctification. Sanctification. Now this word sanctification, this is really a word that means the lifelong process of being transformed toward the image of Christ by being engaged by the Word of God and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That God has a journey for us that day by day, that bit by bit, that piece by piece, He transforms us away from the character with which we were born and toward the character of Christ. This is the process of sanctification for us. Sanctification. And this is what the gospel is the beginning of. It's a lifetime of forward progress. Listen carefully. It never stops. No matter how long we live, it never stops. No one is ever done as long as they're drawing breath from this atmosphere. We're not done. Sanctification is a lifelong process. And those who stay with it, those who give themselves to the Word of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit will discover new treasures with God at every point in their life. It will never stop. And if it stops, something is wrong. If, it's, if the process of sanctification ever stops, something is wrong. So it's a lifelong process. It's also a peeling off of the layers. Sanctification is a peeling off of the layers. It's as though the treasure that we have is deep inside of us, but it's surrounded by a bunch of stuff that keeps it from living. Like the treasure of God inside of us, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so that deep inside of us is the treasure, but we're surrounded by layers of insulation and layers of stuff that needs to come off in order for that treasure to truly live. Does that make sense? And so sanctification is a peeling off of these layers because things change substantially for us in our lives when we consistently cooperate with the process of sanctification. things You're different than you were scheduled to be, right? You're, diff, you're in a different place than where your original line pointed. And that's the process of sanctification. Rob, I want you to notice how I haven't gone off the edge of the stage yet. 
And I just want to try to coach you as your older brother in the Lord. That's all, brother. I fear for your safety. You're welcome. So sanctification, now watch, I'll go off the edge of the stage. Pride goes before the fall, right? (laughs) Sanctification is the process of peeling off of the layers because a lot of things change. One of the things that changes is that as we move through the process of sanctification, catch this, our range of behavioral choices decreases while the depth of our spiritual life increases. Did you get that? So sanctification, the range, the width of our, of our behavioral choices decreases, but as that happens, the depth of our spiritual life increases. In Psalm 84.10, the Bible says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So the tents of the wicked has a range of behavioral choices that is wide, right? But he's saying there's something better than that. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I would rather step out of that, narrow the range of my behavioral options so as to contribute to the possibility of my having a true dynamic spiritual encounter with the living God. My spiritual life increases. So the range of behaviors narrows while the depth of spiritual life expands. I think we could think of these ranges of behaviors in several ways. Let's think about what happens first. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit wants to restrict in us so that we would know Him better are those behaviors that are sensual in nature, correct? That's the first thing. We come to Christ and we go, I guess I, got, I, guess I shouldn't smoke weed. I guess I shouldn't sleep around. I guess I shouldn't view pornography. I guess I shouldn't drink. I guess. And so there are a lot of behavioral kind of things that begin happening in our lives that we go, that doesn't help my relationship with God. Well, that's... Uh, Spoken about in Galatians chapter 5. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there if you have one. Galatians chapter 5. And it talks about life in the Spirit, which is what we're talking about. How do we have a substantial spiritual life? And in Galatians chapter 5, it says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not... Verse 16, Galatians chapter 5, beginning of verse 16... So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So that there's going to be a a conflict, a tension here. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. So it sounds like these things have to go if we're going to walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Because what you really want to do is encounter God. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. That's a whole other thing that has to do with the larger message of Galatians. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. 
I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things have to go if we want to encounter God. This is like first level sanctification. But keep reading. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. And so the first level of sanctification is relying on the Holy Spirit for those obvious behaviors in our lives that are so sensually oriented that it's either God or them. Okay? I think the next level of, of behaviors the Holy Spirit often works on is our relational behaviors, is our relationships with other people. That once we've, once we've been blessed by God to be out of some of those sensual practices of our lives, well then, he draws us into having the relationship with each other that God wants us to have. It's a relationship based on forgiveness and reconciliation, isn't it? It's a relationship based on love and kindness and generosity. And these are the qualities of the relationship. But we really can't get there until we stop smoking the weed, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we really can't focus on that so well until we get some of these big bad uglies gone. And if you'll notice, when those, some of the big bad uglies come, come creeping back in, you have trouble. You don't care so much about the brothers anymore, do you? And so this is sanctification. I think next there are mental behaviors. Let's say that we have these habits you know, the Holy Spirit has given us mastery over them. And let's say we are living in loving relationship with the body. And then there, are, there still can be stuff going on in our heads, right? And we have to set our minds. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Well, I better just turn there so I get it absolutely right. Since then... Colossians, here it is. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, as verse 1, at the right hand of God. Now look at verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so there's this, this changing of our minds, isn't it? Setting our minds on the things of God. This is like third level sanctification, and then I think we get to a fourth level at least, and that's a spirit, God dealing with our spiritual stuff, so that what truly connects us in healthy ways with God through the power of the Holy Spirit develops in us so that we connect with God, because there's all kinds of spiritual stuff we can do that isn't of God, right? It's of man, it's religion, and so are you, are you following that there's a prog progression, that there's a sequence to this sanctification. This is the nature of the beginning. That when you, when you respond to the Word of God, to the Gospel of Christ, God starts something in you that never ends. It has a, it has a line to it. It has a sequence to it. It has a journey to it. And so if you're wondering, how come I don't ex encounter God the way some of these people talk about, let's, let's start at first level sanctification. Where are we there, right? 
and let's start getting serious with God about those things. Stop making excuses for ourselves and then move through whatever progression, whether it's similar to this or something else, that God has for you. But this is the nature, this is the very nature of sanctification in us, and it never stops. Now another thing about sanctification is that as we move through this process, our personal values change from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. This is what God, this is, I've told you before, it's true that Jesus said, I've come to give you life, but the fine print is he's going to kill you first. Jesus Christ is going to kill you first. Jesus said, whoever come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will find it. So we move from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. Paul, the Apostle Paul, said in Philippians 3.8, he said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You know, he had accomplished so much. He talks about that in the earlier verses. And he says, I consider it all loss. I count it as rubbish. What's the Greek word for that rubbish? Skubalon. Skubalon. It means a steaming pile of dog poo. I, he says, that's what, I, that's what I count my former accomplishments as. And he, he shifts from being Paul-centered to being Christ-centered. He said, uh, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And this is part of the sanctification process. We're born with a really naturally high sense of me, aren't we? Rob referred to that in one of his earlier messages about babies, right? And how, how selfish these things are, right? How self-centered they are. That's how we're born. We're born. Well, we know we're growing in Christ when our, when our questions of our life become less about what do I want and more about what does God want? What does God want? What does God want? And we know that we've stalled in the process of sanctification when we notice, listen, when we notice that our passion for the things of Christ that we once had begin to give way to a sense of what's in this for me. To a new brand of self-interest. And this can happen really at any stage of our lives. We can just stop engaging in the process of sanctification. We can go, I'm good. This can happen at any stage in our lives, but listen carefully. I don't think it happens any more in our society than in the unbiblical practice of a thing called retirement. You know, there is no provision for retirement in the Bible. And I see people live these lives for Jesus, and they retire. And then it, it's like culture is saying, okay, this is your turn to be completely self-occupied. You don't have anything to give. You're too old. Let the little guys do it. That is so unbiblical. 
Now, I don't think there's a thing wrong with figuring out a way to stop going to work. That's a good thing. That kind of retirement, that's a great thing. I don't think you have to keep doing your profession until you draw your last breath. But what if we started thinking about retirement not as stopping, but as changing lanes? What if we called it refirement? And we refired you. Beloved, those of you who are retired, those of you who are approaching retirement, you have more to give to the body of Christ than anybody else in it. Your wisdom, your strength, your strength, your spiritual strength. It's true, our bodies are failing. But you have more to give to the body of Christ than ever before. Pray to God for a way to give it. Pray to God for a way to give it. Pray to God for a way to give it. Just say, Lord, I'm retired. I'm approaching retirement. What's next? What's next? How can I bring all of this that you have sown into me for these many years, how can I bring all of this with passion and energy to the body of Christ? Sanctification never, ever stops. Sometimes people quit on sanctification. They start resisting the Holy Spirit. With with respect to the Holy Spirit, resistance is not futile. People can say, I've come far enough. In Acts 7.51, in Stephen's message right before he was stoned, he said, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. They re- it is possible to resist the Holy Spirit. And so, say, isn't God sovereign? Of course, but he has still given us this free will. We still have it, right? We can still resist the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, speaking to believers, Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians five nineteen. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not resist the Spirit. It is possible for believers to quench the Spirit. And sometimes people just quit on the process of sanctification before allowing God to get all the way to their true heart. They just go, I'm done. I know more than anyone. I know more than I did. I'm better than I was. It's good enough. God's not done. Because this whole beginning thing in the gospel is to be in a perpetual state of newness. Say what? Did you hear that? To be in a perpetual... John, you're going to like this part. So in 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, so if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. I'm going to sit down while I'm tired. Uh, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Yeah, I know. It was intentional, though. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, there's a verb tense at work here. If any man be in Christ, and you're in Christ, he is a new creation. Not like once, but he perpetually is. So you know when you were born again and you became new? Well, you're born again, 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 again. You're a new creation compared to when you walked in here this morning. Because it's perpetual. It's perpetual. In Revelation 21, verse 5, the the Scriptures show God saying, Behold, I am making all things new. Am making all things new. So, Vlad, it's a a constant 
thing. It's a perpetual beginning. It's a perpetual newness. It's possible if you're anything like me that you failed. But if you're in Christ because of his blood, if you're authentically in Christ, I'm not talking about fooling around with words. I'm talking about authentically in Christ that even when we fail, we're made new again. So the process of sanctification never stops because it's a a state of perpetual beginning. Are you loving this? Go back up. Might need help. All right. Let's get this plane on the ground. Buckle up. You know, why would God be so persistent in peeling away all the external layers? Why? Why wouldn't he just give up on us? Because there's something deep inside of you, underneath all those layers, that he can see better than you. There's something in there. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. We were created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, that thing that lives inside of us, fragmented by sin, but it's still there. It's the thing that's born again. Why would God not give up in peeling off the layers? Because he sees something inside of you that he can see better than you can. As we... Just continue to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't quench the Holy Spirit. We say, I'm never done. I'm never done. Then God just keeps removing those layers. And we get more and more like the image of Christ. This is what you long for. This is what you really want. Some people just wearing themselves out with the activities. And they've neglected the sanctification process. I want to just end with talking to three groups of people. One, those of you who are actively engaged in the ongoing process of new beginnings and transformation. Those of you who are saying, yes, I'm so grateful that that process is happening in my life. I just want to say thank you. Just thank you for continuing to realize that God is never done. Never done. Thank you. The second group of people I'd like to speak to are those who once were in the process but no longer are. You've lost interest in your Bible. You've lost interest in prayer, worship, service. It's just grown cold. You remember a day when it once was, but it isn't anymore. I just want to talk to you and just ask you to reflect on when you quit. When you said, that's enough. When something happened, maybe, that said, I'm not doing that anymore. The day the devil won. Just reflect on it. Ask God to rescue you from it. To restore the passion. Such a dangerous thing to quit. 
seeing people who are running a good race. Sometimes in a marriage and one person quit. They just quit. They just quit. And it wreaked havoc on that marriage. I'm just seeing people running a good race and then just quit. Just stop, cooperate, just resist the Holy Spirit. Say, I am not going to be in the Word. I am not going to pray. I am not going to worship. I am not going to serve. I am not going to be concerned with these behaviors in my life that I know from the Word. Restrict my experience with God. I just want to encourage you with the words, you can begin again. You can begin again. It can be better than it used to be. It'll be different. It'll be deeper. But it can be better. And then the third group of people are those who are here today who are saying, I just need a new beginning. I am just at a place in my life where I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. What could God make out of your life? You're not dead yet. You're not dead yet. What could God make out of your life if a new beginning started today, 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 today? Father, we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to come to bring the presence that causes the response that you would love. Come, Holy Spirit. For those who are realizing that they stopped somewhere. Holy Spirit, come and relight the flame. Relight the burner. For those who are just realizing that what they need is a full change, a full makeover, a full beginning, would you draw them into the company of your Holy Spirit and your word today? In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, let's stand. If you'd like to be a person who just wants to collect up here and experience the flow of the Holy Spirit for new beginning, come on up. Come on. If you're a person who needs prayer for something else, we're going to have some prayer ministry people come on up over to the sides. Make themselves available to pray for you. Day for new beginnings.